All right, it's Dean Del Rey on Let There Be Talk on today's episode. Uh, I'm usually at Beachwood Canyon, but today I'm in uh, La Canada. Or, or if you looked at it, it looks like La Canada. It's Canada. Yeah, La Canada. Spanish. But it looks like Canada. Yeah, it's it's the Canada. <laughs> yeah, the Canada. The, the Canada. My <laughs> guest today, uh, I'm fired up about this, Bill D'Elia, right? Father of uh, Chris D'Elia. Uh, actor and uh, comedian on Whitney and Matt D'Elia, movie director, both my great friends. But you're the king of the family, right? <laughs> well, I guess uh, uh, the patriarch, I suppose. There, there was no, uh, <laughs> well, no, yeah, I'm the despot, I'm the king. Yeah, man, yo, I mean, yo soy el rey, that's what uh, Picasso said. Yeah, there you I go. I am the king. You are the king. <laughs> it's hilarious because uh, first of all, if you just if you tune in, the reason I want to have you on is I I like to have people on that um, that work hard or because I hate people that get in through the back door on oh. anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, back door here. Yeah. So you're a huge TV producer, right? Uh. Okay, huge. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you do one, first of all, if you do one show in Hollywood, that's big. If you do multiple shows and they're on a long time, that that's big. Yeah, I've done a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I prefer to be called a director because that's how the producing started for me. That's how I got into producing. I never started out uh, even, never even had an inkling to want to. Uh, produce anything but um i became popular as a television director and people who were making the shows wanted me to stick around because they liked my style and then i wound up producing because it was it became a lot more fun in in television you um the the power is mainly with the writer and uh, over the course of the last 20 years that i've been involved in television there's been this um, development where the writer uh, partners with a director, and together they produce the show. And that's and I, been you, uh, that's your part. What's happened to me is I've, I've directed lots of television shows, and I've now directed and produced quite a bunch. And and your partner is well, David David Kelly. Yeah, I mean, David, yeah. David E. Kelly. Um, uh, well, you know, he's created some of the best shows on TV. And what's happened is uh, I started to direct for him uh, back on Picket Fences. Right. And then his next show was Chicago Hope. And he asked me to come in and stay on Chicago Hope and, and, and run it um, with a guy named John Tinker. Uh, John and I ran Chicago Hope and David left it. And that was really the uh, th that that show really put me on the map. One, uh, Chicago Hope was nominated for Emmys every year. I got my first Emmy nominations through Chicago Hope, and then after Chicago Hope, it was Ally McBeal with David. And ever since Ally McBeal, I've been doing shows pretty much with David Kelly. Yeah, so you, uh, it's like Chicago Hope, Ally McBeal. Then it was. Uh, Boston Legal. Did Boston Legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston Legal, Harry's Law, and now we're doing a show called uh, Monday Mornings, which is based on a novel by Dr. Sanjay Gupta, which is a medical drama, and it's for TNT, and it'll be on the air uh, in February of next year. And and what's this one about? This one's a medical drama. It's it's way cool. It may be the coolest show I've done. Uh, I, I thought Boston Legal was pretty hip in its way. But this is a medical drama that 
you know, we've all seen medical shows on TV. They are what they are. Here comes the yeah. guy. He's broken. How do you fix him? Oh, my God. The doctor's a genius or he's fucked up. Or yeah, whatever. like ER, the yeah, formula like, forever. Oh, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And then, oh, we did it or we didn't do it. That's that's a medical show. Yep. What this one does is kind of explores what goes on to be a doctor. And there's a thing in all hospitals called an M&M conference. It's a mortality and morbidity conference where the doctors behind closed doors sit around and talk about what happened and why it happened and how they made the decisions and why they made the decisions. It's an intricate uh, medical show in that even if you're watching the show and you see somebody solve something, you'll find out later what really went on behind the scenes and what he could have done and what he should have done. And it, it, it's got a great cast. Alfred Molina, Ving Rhames. Oh, yeah, uh, he's great. Yeah, uh, Jamie Bamber, Jennifer Finnegan, Sarah Urao, Bill Irwin, uh, Emily Swallow. It's a great, great group of people. It's And it's a very hip-looking uh, look at behind the scenes of what goes on in the hospital. That's cool. Yeah, it's now, a lot of fun. Now, how did you even get into TV? Because I'm over here at your house. And I've never even been here, which is amazing. But I see that, okay, did you grow up in New York City or Jersey? Yeah, I grew up in New York. And your dad had a newsstand <laughs> for 50 years? Yeah. yeah. And what what was the street on? My, my dad had a newsstand on the corner of 33rd Street and 7th Avenue. And he was on that corner for 50 years. That's exactly right. He started out as one of those newsboys, just standing there with a satchel and a bunch of papers. He's the guy, paper here. Yeah. Read all about it, extra, extra. Paper. Yeah, not even extra. It was yeah. extra, extra, extra. Read all about <laughs> it. And, and he just became a permanent fixture on that corner. West 33rd and 7th, northwest corner, just across the street from uh, Penn Station. And... Um, and um, he wound up with one of those little boxes where he how, sold how do you get those boxes you just build it's it one licensed. day it's licensed Got it's, it's licensed by the state of new york you put yourself on a list and he wound up on that corner for uh literally 50 years do you make money doing that yeah you you know you he 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 hustled when i was a kid he drove a truck as well. He, he, was, he was just, you know, I come, I come from a real blue-collar background. What neighborhood did you grow up in? I, grew, I actually grew up in Queens. Hang on a second. Let me kick my dog out the door. <laughs> he, I actually grew up. In Queens? I grew up in Queens just outside of Manhattan. And, wow. Uh, he used to take a bus and a train to work every day. And then uh, when we became, and then my mom often would pick him up. At the end of the night, pick him up at the train station, drive him home. When we became old enough, my brother and I would go pick him up. And then when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, maybe nine, starting at nine, he, he would take me to work with him. I'd sit in that newsstand, and, and I'm telling you, Dean, I learned more about what goes on with people and how to deal with people. Yeah. And I learned more about directing on that corner than than any film school any other experience i've ever had because oh. you'd stand there on that corner and you'd have to deal with whoever came up and there were times where he would just he would just walk away and leave me alone and i'd have to deal with these new york city lunatics coming out wow and and, and i always say you know the you've been in, if you've been to new york you've been in those boxes and you know it you, oh you've yeah seen those boxes and that's the people in them back then it was mainly italian americans that had those kind of jobs and um I would sit in that box, and to me, that 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 opening was like a movie. Uh, That's screen. Oh, yeah. It was like a movie screen. Absolutely. And I, would, and I would sit in there and look out, and I'd make up my own stories in my head about what was going on. And it was the beginning of me thinking visually and dealing with people. And so, 
Uh, how do you go from there to start like TV and stuff? You went to school for it, right? Yeah. Well, in uh, I discovered it. I discovered theater in high school. That's right. kind of how it started. You were acting. I, I had a real uh, desire to act and be in all the school plays, and and uh, and that was a, a a source of no little tension in my house. By the way, my dad being this big blue collar. Oh yeah. You know, men do this. Women do that. The arts were something that men just didn't do. You just yeah, yeah, it was it. kind of gay, right? Yeah, and it was just like, you know, he was totally against me ever being involved in any kind of theatrical production, and I couldn't not do it. And we, he used to, he used to, he was a very tough and very judgmental guy, and, and, and it was just like, you can't, no, no, no. And then I would, tr- I would try out for the play, I would get the part. I took the drama classes, and he'd be the first guy sitting in the audience like, <laughs> crying at like how proud he was. <laughs> what about James Dean and guys like that, like Brandon? Because that stuff was hot back that's then. Not, but that's just that's just not what men did. That's yeah, like, you know, yeah, okay. There are men that make movies. There's Brando. There's those guys. But right. that's not what. That's not a job. A real job, like with some yeah, yeah, like you know, plumber. Or, and and you know, from where I sat and the way I grew up, it's like what's security? I don't even know what that is. I know guys that had jobs and got fired, had jobs and and didn't make any money, had jobs, and yet his own, my dad's own advice to me was find something that you think you're good at, something you love, and here's what'll happen: if you're lucky, you'll be happy. And if you're, you'll find a job that does what you like and you'll be happy. If you're really lucky, you'll be happy and you'll make a lot of money. Yeah. And so <laughs> I just followed my own, I followed his advice to me and followed my own star with that. And it got me into the school plays and all that stuff. So then in high school, looking for uh, college applications, looking at college applications and where should I go? What should I study? What am I good at? What could I do? You got to, I mean, it's kind of hard to even imagine, but it was like the dark ages. Now you, you know, you're, you're a click away from yep. finding anything you want to find out about schools or That's business right. or anything. Back then it was all Barron's, it was called Barron's book. It was a big book of colleges. And, and, and you just sit down and you'd flip through it and try to figure out where, you know, what are these colleges all about? Oh. And I discovered that you could actually study television and radio and film i and saw I, that on, on online you went to ithaca or yeah something? yeah and i thought geez you could actually go to school for this shit <laughs> i didn't know that yeah. and i applied to uh, a couple of schools and got into them uh, got into them but ithaca just seemed like like a cool place now i'm of the generation of guys who really were the first to kind of discover this to go through what became film school um i'm kind of the same like they didn't have nyu film school back then yeah but it was not a thing you know it wasn't a big deal like it is now now they're turning people away then it was like you know do you want to do this yeah uh uh, scorsese spielberg spielberg's probably my age scorsese's older but they that's the first uh, scorsese might be five years older than me or something but that's the first generation of of kids to even think you could study this and yeah. teachers who taught it. So I, I, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. It just to me, it was just like, Oh, this would be fun. And, <laughs> uh, and, and so I went to Ithaca and studied uh, film and television while I was there. I started writing and directing and producing and, uh, look, I'm a guy that just likes to make shit up. And if I can find a place to make it up and somebody will listen, I'm going to go there. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> what kind of TV and movies were you into back then? Uh, 
I always loved comedies. I always loved the Marx Brothers and the 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 wit of of um, of the Marx Brothers, the silliness of the language of Abbott and Costello, the parsing of the language, the quickness of that kind of storytelling. I always loved that. Right. It was it was a little bit later as I got older that that uh, I became interested in drama as well. I was always the first guy. When a movie opened, I was always the first guy online. I was the first guy to buy a ticket. Yeah. And, and and I was a television geek. I watched every single thing on television all the time. Like what kind of stuff? Leave it to Beaver? Yeah. You know, well, well the Dick Van Dyke show was oh, like yeah. a huge influence on me. You know, it was like, yeah. because not only was it about, um, not only was it funny, it was about making television. So I thought, oh yeah, I thought I was looking at, wow, that's what goes on. I'd yeah, like yeah, to be party. There. How do I get to do that? <laughs> yeah, and I'd watch these names fly across the screen, and I remember thinking, who are those guys? How do you get to be those guys? How does that happen? Yep. And I don't know. Somehow it happened. I got to <laughs> be one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you're like going to school, and then you got you got you have a family, right? Well, uh, when. Well, you're talking about college. I didn't have a family. Well, I mean, you, know, you get out of college. Later, so yeah. Are you working? Well, no, in what film? happened was, yeah, um, I got a job. I applied all over the place. Get out of college. You just don't know what. Oh, I got drafted. Oh, you yeah? did? Yeah, I was in the army. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's not forget that. You were in the army? Yeah. I was. What years? That's right, Dean. I protected this country for you and everybody like you. Yeah, you got the flag out there. <laughs> I saw the one pulled outside. up. I'm a veteran, man. I didn't I didn't imagine that Vietnam at all. Vietnam era veteran. Did you go to Vietnam? I said era. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Vietnam era veteran. Right, okay. I was drafted on my, again, here's what happened. I get out of college. You got three brothers? Yeah, I got two brothers. Two brothers. I yeah, met them in New York together, recently. Yeah. And uh, uh, and they didn't get drafted. You did no, because the draft was over by the time. Uh, here, here's here's the story. I got um, I got out of college, and I get a job at a local TV station, which is really cool. Hundred bucks a week, and I did everything on this TV station. I wrote the commercials. I directed the commercials. I directed the news, and I was the. Uh, the puppet Beauregard the dog on the kids show every afternoon. You were I, early insult dog. Was I that did, one on Conan? Yeah, I, was, I was triumph the insult dog. I did everything at this TV station. I go to work in the morning. I go home at night. I was staying at a little, uh, Elmira, New York, home of Mark Twain, uh, at this local TV station. It was it was just a ridiculously you could do a pilot on that. Yeah, it was a funny job. It was like a, a guy job. doing that, like almost a new heart style. Yeah, it was you a know, very funny job. And and uh, while I was there. My my dad called me up and he said, "Hey, pack your bags. You got drafted." That's oh. how he tells me. That's the kind of guy he was. Hey, he got the letter in the yeah, mail. He got the letter in the mail because I didn't change my address. I was still living. Uh, my my uh, proper address was back in Queens still. Right. And I said, uh, "Send send it to me. Give it to me." So I take the letter. I go to the local draft board in Elmira, New York. And I say to the guy behind, now imagine, now no computers, just big filing cabinets. Yep. You know, just this little guy sitting behind a desk. And I say. Hey, listen, I got my draft notice. You could see by the address that it's listed for Queens. I got a job up here recently. I forgot to notify you guys that I moved. What can I do? I mean, I can't really get back to New York. It says I have to report in two weeks. You got to give me some time here. I just, I just lay it out, you know, just like <laughs> just shoveling the shit. Yeah. And uh, the, guy, the guy says, all right, this happens. Not a problem. 
uh, we'll draft you. We'll give you a month. We'll draft you next month. And, oh. uh, we'll give you time. Were you bummed? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I figured I had a month. You yeah. Know, so I'd go party. So I partied. I partied. And about less than a month later, Nixon comes on TV and he's, he's instituting the lottery system. Oh. The draft is suspended. Oh. So now I have another party. Like I got, like um, I got lucky. Yeah. Now I wait for the lottery to get drawn. They pull all the numbers, and it's based on your birthday. And my birthday, March twenty third. I pull the number two fifty six. Now basically that means you're not getting drafted. Up till about a hundred, hundred and fifty uh, people were believing. After that, and every year it resets. So the following year you go back to the number one. Oh. So, and that's your birthday. That's so your you're number. way up there. So I'm done. I'm not going. Now I have another party. <laughs> and, yeah, and then two weeks later, I get this notice in Elmira, report for the draft. Oh. I go back down to the same draft board, same little nerdy guy behind the desk. I show him the thing. I said, uh, "Now I'm arrogant. Now I'm cocky. Now I know <laughs> that they they fucked up." I'm like, "Hey, um, you guys made a mistake. You can see there's my birthday, number two fifty six. So you know you want to take this back. Uh, you know, this guy says, "Hold on a second. He takes." He takes this notice. He goes shuffling to the back room. I hear him going through files. He comes back with my file. He lays he lays it down. He looks at me and he says, uh, "No, you see, you were drafted under the old law. Oh, so this does not apply to you. Oh. You have to go." Two weeks later, I'm I'm on the bus to Fort Dix, New Jersey. They're shaving my head. Oh, and uh, Marines, Navy, Army. Uh, well, I got drafted into the Army, and now basic training. Everybody knows the physical part of basic training. Yep. They try to break you down, and you know you run all over the place with backpacks and guns and all this physical officer and a gentleman all, stuff. All this physical uh, and military training. What what a lot of people don't know is that part of it also is me- uh, mental testing and in- intellectual testing. We got all called into this warehouse full of uh, two or three hundred guys, pass out tests. And for a week, you're taking tests, several tests a day. The first tests, when you get marched into this room, rudimentary understanding of English, math. Basic stuff. Basic stuff. Next day, they come in. They say, the following guys report for the testing. And you notice, like, there's a handful of guys that are not coming. I also knew the handful of guys that were not coming were the stupid guys. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because you knew them by now, right? Right. Then the test got a little bit harder. Next day, same thing. They kept weeding it down, weeding it down. Then you get kind of competitive. Like, you don't want to be left out. I want to pass all these tests. I want to be the last man standing. <laughs> You're going to be the guy so, going. Well, well, we took all these tests. They got harder and harder and harder. The final day, I'm telling you, there had to be maybe 10 guys. There were a couple. There were several hundred to begin with. Maybe 10 guys. They say, the final test is this. you got all day to do it. It's a language test. And here's, here's the first part of the day. We're going to teach you the language. It was a made-up language. Wow. Totally made up language. Really? Yeah. Totally made up. Then the last half Like of the, spy stuff? No, like like Vietnamese. Oh, oh I got it. But you. not Vietnamese. Right. Just like this is how you say this is the plu perfect. Here's the past tense. Here's the uh, here's the here's the noun. Here's the pronoun. It was like it was ridiculous. And <laughs> they pass out the test and I and the and the test was here's a story in that language. Now answer it. I I remember the bell going off. I didn't even answer one question. I was done. <laughs> anyway, two weeks later you're going to go get analyzed for your tests. So when I don't understand something, I don't want to be the first in line, so I go to the back of the line. And I see guys going in and coming right out. Going in, coming right out. They're telling them basically how they did on the test. Yeah. Guy comes out, he says, the guy says, how'd you do? 
Oh man, I did great. I, I they they said that uh, my, based on my test scores, they're going to put me in a motor pool. Next guy, uh, they said I did great. Based on my test score, they're going to make me a chaplain's assistant. Oh, I did great. They're going to put me in the. They're going to make me a clerk. And I'm thinking, it's a fucking war going on. Yeah. Nobody, nobody was told you're going to be carrying a gun. Nobody was told you're going to artillery. So I go in there, Dean. I grab. I remember grabbing the the chair with, yeah. on both sides with my hands, just sweaty. And I said to the guy, before he could say anything, I said, listen, um, I studied television and film, and I'm sure that's why I got drafted, and that's the kind of job, uh, you know, that's, that's what I should have. And, he's, yeah. and he says, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, television. You, know, you got to have like a signal core, guys that, you know. Photography, all those yeah, things. Yeah, like you got to have that. You must have that. And he was like, never heard of it. He turns around to the other guy. Says, you ever hear of this? The guy says, no. I said, no, no, I'm serious. Like, get, get really. I start talking. This guy starts talking. He gets out this book. He says, hold on a second. Huh, look at this. 84 f20 i'll never forget the number 84 f20 television production specialist i said that's me that's me (laughs) that's what i got drafted for you must you must need those guys yeah i'm talking i'm bullshitting i'm asking him what's his favorite food where does he live i'm finding out everything about this guy and he says and he fills out this thing and he says all right i'll tell you what i'm gonna put down 84 f20 for you see that little little uh, mark there he says that's a check mark that if we check that you'll definitely get it if i don't check it it's just a recommendation now i don't know whether he's bullshitting about the check mark but right. that's all i got to go on so i walk out the next guy in line says the hell were you doing in there i said what do you mean he said you're in there for 45 minutes oh. everybody else was in and out in and out yeah cut to eight weeks later and the basic training start rattling off everybody's mos military occupational status artillery infantry artillery infantry artillery he gets to my name delia he turns around the guy the sergeant's announced all this shit turns around the guy and says what the hell is this <laughs> 84 f20 i yeah. got sent to fort benning georgia yeah i worked in the united states army infantry school television division man two years made training tapes and films for troops going to vietnam coming back from vietnam it was a tv studio job and it was it was like mash without the blood it was wow. a bunch of college kids who all studied it who all worked in it a little bit who got drafted and wound up in this unit that's kind of a dope gig right it was a, it was a great gig and so you guys were making like uh, films, uh, proper care and maintenance of your M16 guard oh. duty parts one and two. That was an epic, that was a big one. <laughs> hey, can you get those on DVD right now <laughs> or Netflix? <laughs> I don't know. You could try. I doubt it. That's highly classified information. <laughs> <laughs> so you get out of that and you start working again? Yeah, I get out. Well, I was always a go. I was always like, give me, give me a. I didn't like to sleep. I still don't like to sleep. Really? I like to work and I like to move and I like to keep keep going and uh it wasn't until i got married that that i understood uh, because my because ellie kept kept uh, trying to convince me that vacations were good right it wasn't until i got married that i even understood the concept of a vacation you're like a workaholic yeah well that's what i'm called i don't like the term but i just loved i love to work yeah me too and so uh while i was in the army I, I, you'd go to i'd go to work at 8 a.m and i'd finish work at 5 p.m for uncle sam Yep. So me and a buddy from Chicago, he said, let's go into town, see if we can get a job at a local TV station. We got a job at uh, Channel 9, uh, Channel 5, uh, running, being cameraman for the news at night. You could do that while you're in the no, army? No, it's against the law. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wait, I liked it so much that I applied for a job at the other station. And here's my gig, while, here's my whole routine while I was in the army. Uh, Monday through uh, Friday, work for Uncle Sam, 8 to 5. Uh, uh, Monday through Thursday nights, I'd go to work at Channel 9 and I would do the news. 
Friday nights I had off. Saturday morning I did the sign-on shift at Channel 9. Sunday morning I did the sign-on shift for Channel 9. Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon I directed the local news for Channel 5 and then Monday back again. So I worked around the clock. The only night I slept was Friday night. I was exhausted. <laughs> so so I get out of the Army and I'm just looking for a gig and, and uh, I wanted to stay in New York. I did not want to come to Los Angeles. I right. still don't want to come to Los Angeles, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> But really? now I'm here. Yeah, um, you've been here how many years? 20 years. Wow. Yeah, about 20, a little bit more maybe. Um, I, I started working out here in 1990, but we moved out here in 92. Did you move out here... Uh Oh, well, you got a job. Yeah, I started directing television, and um, the commercial business had pretty much dried up. And um, I was still living in New Jersey. Um, Chris and Matt were, were, were just kids, and I would fly out here to work and fly back. And, and then there was one stretch where I came out here to do a show or two and wound up out here for six or eight months. Wow, and and then I just went home and I said, let's pack and let's see what it's like in Los Angeles. And where'd you guys land? We came out here in '92, and the reason we moved to La Cunada was because it had a great school system. That's right. I could, I could I could put Chris and Matt into a good school system without worrying about you know the L.A. school system and, and what how do you go where do you go how do you go yeah who, how do you get a letter how do you get a recommendation all that stuff so so um, is this the house you guys no no this is this, we had a we had a big house around the corner and then once once they grew up and moved out <laughs> this and, ain't a big house no <laughs> you should have seen you should have seen that other house <laughs> no I'm like, wait a minute this ain't a big house no. we're in your offices the size of my house <laughs> <laughs> no you should have seen that other house it was, it was um, okay here's the cool thing yeah basically you just told me that you uh you had nothing handed to you no <laughs> hell no no i now i see this poster I've been, over I've been here broke i've been broke more than once yeah oh yeah and it broke with kids yeah and was your wife working or what was going on with that she had um she always worked she worked at the abc news political unit because i met her in college she studied film tv too in ithaca uh, in ithaca yeah and she worked at abc news for a while on the political unit uh analyzing election returns and politics and uh and then after the kids were born after chris was born she worked she still worked for them and she was able to work from home and then she became a uh, uh a location scout for a while in in new jersey and uh but that led her to interior decorating she became a, a, an interior decorator oh right that's her gig yeah um so she did that in new jersey and then when we moved out here she did that for a while out here too but not working enough to Right. the way we were used to living and, and what kind of broke like you had well, money and then you went broke well no he, 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 yeah what happened was uh i was making a pretty good living as a commercial director that's kind of, that's where i wound up after i get out of the army and what's uh, this the 70s uh, yeah mid 70s i get out of the army i got a pretty good gig at a at a uh, at a company that made television commercials and not, not uh, i'm saying that wrong it was a, a marketing company right. they, for re, a chain of retail stores. I was in their advertising department. It was about as far removed from making 
film as you could get. Were you and, bummed, or you were just yeah, I got to do like, what I can uh, do? You know, I'm young and I just got out of the army. I'm in New York. I'm making a living. I'm making enough that we can, you know, get an apartment and be okay. And but it was a, it, it, but I was bummed because it, it was like, how do I ever get from this to to what I really want to do? Right. And like you couldn't just grab a camera now and just not, make no, something. Like, like now you then. have you have such opportunity to oh. make something. Then you needed money, equipment sizable equipment lights you know it was, it was yeah, everything you just couldn't do it but um and i continued to write like i always liked to write but i couldn't find a an avenue to sell anything i was just it wasn't i wasn't writing anything that could be sold i was just writing because i always had that i was just like what are you writing stories. scripts short stories mainly sure, I was writing yeah. stories just to please myself because right. i had shit rattling around in my head and, uh, yeah. and I had to put it down. That's like me. Uh, I got notebooks somewhere all over the place uh, of, of thoughts and ideas from back then. But um, but it was um, but I got into I got into commercials and I was making a living. And then at the uh, during that during that time when I well first time I went broke was when I when I started my own production company. I went from making a getting a steady paycheck at this. Uh, marketing company to getting a steady paycheck at an ad agency. I, w I went from there to an ad agency where I started to produce commercials, right. but I still didn't feel like I was being creative. I was just sort of managing other people. Yeah. And I didn't like it. That's the worst. I just didn't like it. I was like, I was picking directors to do things and I was... That you could do. And then I, I, Well, that's when I thought I could do it. I watched these guys do it and I thought, I bet I, I, bet I could do that. What, that. If that's what a director does for real... I bet I could do that. Yeah. And I bet I could do it back then. Guys were screamers and yellers and, and you know, big egos. And I thought, yeah, I thought two things. I thought, I bet I could do that. And I bet you could be a nice guy doing that too. I bet you don't have to be an asshole. Well, that's what, you know, one thing <laughs> weird about you, I mean, I'll cut in real quick was I just did this uh, video with Chris yeah. and there was people working on this uh, video uh, that had worked for you. And they were like, yeah, we worked, uh, this girl said I worked with um, Bill D'Elia. Okay. No and 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 every time I meet someone, they go, "Guy, he's such a great guy." <laughs> and I was like, "How does that happen in Hollywood? Because you never hear a successful guy, and after that, they go, he's a great guy.' Never. You go, oh, real cocksucker, <laughs> but man, can he make a good film? You never hear a great guy, but when they say you, you hear a great guy. And I don't know. I mean, that's awesome. It's hard to do in town. Because it's so ego driven, and it's really hard to be nice. You got to make bad decisions. Something you know, like you got to cut people. And you know what? It's not hard. It's not. It's, I don't know because I've hard. been around the evil machine. Yeah, sure, because but but, uh, I guess it's easy to fall into that. Right. But when you come up like I came up, when you watch a guy stand on a street corner selling newspapers. That's right. And hustle his ass. To provide for a family well then when you get to work with people and you're in charge you know what it feels like to work for somebody you know i've had jobs where i've worked for bosses who were dicks yeah i didn't do my best work yeah i've had jobs that work for people i thought were really cool i worked my ass off you're right so so i apply that to what i do right if you're if you're uh doing what is considered by you know, there's a hierarchy. Okay, the producers, the directors up here, and then there's everybody else going down to the prop guy and the and the grips and the and the best boys and yeah and the 
and the 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 hierarchy, catering everybody but the higher yeah craft service and the hierarchy tells you you're more important than them but you're not yeah. not as a person you're not your job may pay you more your job may be on the line because you you have all this pressure to deliver but so do they and so do they have families to provide for and so do they have have bills to pay and and if they're good at what they do they're as important as as my, look there's a lot of guys do my job and they're not good those guys i, I don't i don't want to be really nice to those guys but <laughs> if, I, if i'm surrounded by people who are good i have such respect for what they do and i don't I, that's just how i uh, that's just how it uh, yeah it's just like be. an awesome team also if the people are great you want to have the same people all the time like when i worked for the right. rolling stones they right. they each year you know every four or five years they call the same people these are guys that have made it through 20 years yep. they then they're all hip they know how to work in the, together you know there are people on my crew that i've known for 20 years oh yeah i, I was on the more. wonder woman yeah. set and you know oh, yeah. and there's people that work <laughs> for you and like but that seemed like a great time yeah you know people even you know it's hard work but it's it's nighttime it's dark and it's well, you know a long time ago uh Somebody said to me when I was still getting into the business, uh, look, the job is hard enough. What you want to do is try to go out of your way to not make it any harder. And that's a simple philosophy. But, you know, the, the I find it, I actually find it kind of sad that it's unusual that people say about me, you're honest, you always tell the truth, you're a nice guy. Why should that be unusual? <laughs> well, 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 it's it's sort of like sad when I hear it. Yeah. It's a compliment, but I just feel, wow, to be distinguished for that is is. Well, it's crazy. I mean, sad. when I met you, I was like, this guy's super cool, man. <laughs> like, I want to be in the family. You know what I mean? Like, you meet guys. No, I meet guys nice. every day when you're working on something or whatever, and they're just dicks. Yeah. And you just go, well, that's how they are, I guess. You I could know? see it. I could see it happen. I, mean, I could see where it could happen because the pressure is enormous to deliver. But you just don't go At there. the end of the day, you're working in Hollywood. You're not like, I mean, I used to swing a hammer when I was like yeah. 20. Yeah. I worked this shitty labor job, you know, and get up every morning with these guys at 530 in the morning and commute like an hour. That's and tough so stuff. Oh, uh, and stuff. it would be dark that's out I, still. That's what I say. I haven't had a real job in over in thirty years. Yeah, I'm and I'm like, in this business. I played music <laughs> at night, so I just had no uh, passion for this. And these guys would be into it, and it's hot, and you're swinging hammer. I gotta get the fuck out of here. But look, you know, uh, there's a lot of ego involved, and I, I, I have as big an ego as the next guy. But I, I, I think it's in check, and I think it's in healthy. I think it's healthy, and I think that. My ego is supremely 100% attached to the work. Right. If the work is really the best it can be, then my ego is satisfied. It's not about me. It's about the work, and we're all doing that work. It's not one guy's doing that work. Right. Now, tell me about this here, The Feud. You got a poster. You were telling me it was the first film you directed. Yeah. Is it the only film you directed? Uh, it's the only theatrical film I've directed. Right. It's the only movie I made that was in theaters, yeah. Um, and what year did it come out? 1990. I made it in, in 1988. Here's what happened. I, I, was, I had a pretty successful commercial business. The, I quit the ad agency I was at to make uh, 
to make commercials. And what kind of commercials are you making? Like uh, mainstream yeah, toothpaste, did, Crest, stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, uh, McDonald's and Oldsmobile, cars and food and kids' right. kids toys. And, are you making money on that, right? Yeah. What, Does what, the director get residuals? No, you don't get residuals in commercials. You get residuals in TV and movies, but you don't get them in, in commercials. If, if, if I got residuals in commercials, this has to be a lot bigger. <laughs> Well, the actors do, right? I mean, like they're yeah, in commercials. You get a uh, you get residuals every time you're on the air, but but you don't right. get each time it's on. I mean, not yeah, over the year. I not, understand that, right? For, uh, for directing commercials, you get paid a flat you get paid rate. Well, but, right? But uh, and and that's what I saw. I was working at an ad agency, and I thought, man, we're paying these guys at the time. They were getting like two thousand dollars a day to direct these things, and that was back in the seventies. Right. By the time I got out of it, that was like. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars a day, and usually and I, what a three day shoot. Yeah, and you, and and you'd look at this and say, "Geez, I could do that." So I went to my bosses in advertising, and uh, I said I was always hustling. I went into these guys and I said, "Hey, I'll save you two thousand dollars a day. Let me put a, together a little unit here, and I'll direct them myself." And I and they did. I saved a bunch of money for our clients, and then I wound up with a reel of commercials that I directed, and then I quit, started my own company with that reel. What was the first one you did? The first commercial i did yeah was for the first commercial i directed was for uh a company that fixed transmissions in <laughs> like amco philadelphia oh like cotman <laughs> it was cotman c-o-t-t-m-a-n i have no idea if they're still in business cotman transmissions in philadelphia i did a package of three commercials they were very fun to do and that was that was the, those are the first commercials i did on my own and that i started my company but that's the first time you were talking about going broke. That's the first time I went broke. I, w I left and I, I thought, uh, okay, I got enough money. I can last for a while here. And um, and it was a, I went like 10 months without doing Getting a, a job? thing. And then I got a McDonald's commercial. Oh, and then that thank McDonald's, God for McDonald's. And then that huh? McDonald's commercial led me to lots of, and then for most of the 80s, I started that in 79. Most of the 80s, um, I was a fairly successful commercial director. And then in 1985, I'm getting to that poster, you know, the, uh, the movie. In 1985, it was like, hold on a second. I'm in my mid-30s here, uh, and this is what I do. This is who I am. I make commercials. Right. That was a serious setback in what I thought about myself. I thought I was going to be a filmmaker. Right. And I thought, well, how do I get out of this? Nobody's like looking at my commercials and saying, hey, make this movie. So what, what do I do? And that, and especially during that golden era of like seventies yeah. to about eighty one of the film yep. era, you know, you got Scorsese, right. you you've Altman, got man. yeah, you've got all that yeah. stuff. Right. The you know the uh, Woody Allen, just the yeah. best films made. So you got to be going like, damn, these guys are so inspiring. Well, what was tremendously inspiring to me, what made me think I could take the lip the leap, was uh, was one movie. What and was it? Was it? Nashville. Oh, I awesome. Went, I, I can tell you where I sat in the theater on 3rd Avenue and saw this movie. Oh. I, was off to, I was off to the right, to the left of the screen, to the right of the theater. And that movie, when I watched that movie on Spool, I thought, if, if you could make movies like this, I, 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 could be, I bet you I could be this kind of filmmaker. And that was Robert Altman. That's and he right. was tremendously inspiring to me in my early career. Uh cut to i'm in the middle of uh what i just told you about how do i get to make movies and i'm a big fan of um this author thomas berger 
Right. Thomas Berger is the guy that wrote Little Big Man, the book. Oh, yeah. The guy that wrote Neighbors, another book that got made of his into a movie. Um, the Belushi one, Neighbors? Yeah. Bad, right. bad movie. Bad but, movie, yeah. But great. One of the best books I ever read. One of the best novels I ever read. Hysterically funny, satirical. He's a darkly funny man in the way he writes. If you know Kurt Vonnegut's writing... Kurt Vonnegut's like extremely funny and out there. This guy's uh, darker, more sardonic, and almost where you read him and you think, uh, am I supposed to be laughing at this? That kind of funny. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Oh, oh, man, I'm uncomfortable, but this is funny. They're the best he stuff. He writes that shit. So I read every one of his novels. I just love this man. And uh, I'm telling you true. I woke up one morning in the middle of my angst about how am I going to become a filmmaker, and I had read this book, The Feud, by Thomas Berger, a year earlier, and I woke up this morning and I saw the whole movie in my head. I just oh. got out of bed and I said, there's a movie right there. How do I get the rights to that book? How do I make this movie? I just was self-motivated and inspired to make this movie. Right. I call up an attorney who was handling my business, uh, my commercial business. I said, how do I, how do I option a novel? He said, what novel? I tell him. He says, I know that guy. I know Berger's manager, agent. I'll call him up. He calls me back later that day. He says, I got bad news. The book is already optioned, and it's optioned by Robert Altman. Oh, you got a good, you, you're on the right pace. So that's exactly what I thought. I thought, man, I'm in sync with Same what flavor. I originally thought. I said, no, that's actually good news. Uh, he said, yeah, but you can't get the right. So I said, no, it's good news. It makes me feel good that I'm going in the right direction. Right. He said, look, I told him, put a pin in it. He says, his, his, his option is up in September. And if he drops it, give us a call. September, dropped it. I pick it up. And I spend every night adapting this book into a screenplay. All on my own. In between my commercial projects, sitting, I put the kids to bed. Ellie would go to sleep. I'd sit in my office till 2 a.m. It was my midnight to 2 a.m. project. I wrote this script. And I get the script together. Um, I close my production company. And now, again, second time in my life, I'm looking at a period of time where I got enough money so I should be okay. Yeah. Well, those calendar pages go flipping oh, yeah, by. Yeah, they do. They go flipping by real fast. <laughs> and I'm going broke real fast. Now, now I have the house, the wife. You're living out here? Kids. No, I'm still in New Jersey. Oh, wow. I don't know. I, Dean. I don't know anybody out here. Right. I don't know a single person out here. That's so weird. I knew like a couple of crew guys because I had come out to do commercials right. once in a while. I didn't know anybody in terms of making movies. Anybody in terms of making TV. Not a soul. I feel now like I know everybody, but I didn't know anybody back then. And I just got this script. What do I do? I think this. If I quit my commercial business... I have to move forward. I can't, I have no other choice but to make this movie. And I, and I, I closed the company. And <laughs> I, I did what, I call it the bold, arrogant, and stupid thing. Yeah. I closed the company. And then I closed the company and people would say to me, other companies, hey, you want to come direct for me? Because I got this gig, you want to direct? And, and I would say no. Oh. I would say no because, I would say no because I thought, if I say yes, I'm still in that business, <laughs> but I'm not in this business anymore. That's I'm right. I'm going to make a movie. Yep. I remember sitting across from my attorney and saying, I'm going to make this movie. And I said, you know how I know I'm going to make this movie? And he said, how? I said, because I know I'm going to make this movie. That was my sole rationale. <laughs> he just had nothing. And the guy looked at me and he said, you know, that's how movies get made. <laughs> and, and Dean, yeah. a friend of mine says to me, 
what are you doing? You close your company, your home. I, what's going on? I said, I'm making a movie. He said, what do you mean you're making a movie? I said, I, I'm, I, I'm, he says, how much money do you need? I said, I need a million and a half dollars. That's what the budget was. He said, a million and a half? You can make a movie for a million and a half? I said, yeah. I said, no, nah, that doesn't make any sense to me. I said, well, let's have lunch. Let's have dinner. I meet the guy for dinner. Now, the guy's just a friend of mine. He says, how are you going to do this? I said, I figured it out. I got a lot of people that will come with me for my commercial business. I got a great screenplay. He said, um, uh, all right, all right. It's just, that's it. Turns out my friend worked as the head. He was the head of the municipal bond department at Lehman Brothers at the time. And he was very wealthy. Wow. To me, he was a buddy. I didn't, I didn't yeah, know he yeah. had a good job, but I didn't know he was very wealthy. He calls me up a week later. It's a true story. I want you to come down here to uh, uh, World Trade Center and uh, tell a bunch of guys what you told me. What do you mean? He says, I- I'm going to get you the money. Whoa. Uh, okay. A million and a half in like I go, 85? I go down. I, I put on my best clothes. I go down 100, the 103rd floor of the World Trade Center. And I'm in a room that to me looked like the you know the movie the Hudsucker Proxy that boardroom that yeah long, yeah with a long, long table boardroom, that long table uh, the heads down the other end were like teeny tiny this big the heads up close up near me were real big it was at that kind of a table my friend's name Frank Scaraggi still lives in Montclair New Jersey Frank says to all these guys is he mob no no he's, <laughs> no you, you guys you fucking bigot just because you got a last name <laughs> you hear that? Scaraggi you, hear that? <laughs> you think it's a mob deal right big money you mob think I'm a fucking soprano right? <laughs> You fucking racist bastard. <laughs> I love that. Hey, he's mob, right? <laughs> this guy's a, a very wealthy, very successful economics genius. Mob guy. <laughs> economic genius mob guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so so he's this is this is his very words. He said, um, this is my friend Bill Delia. He says he can make a movie for a million and a half dollars. I think he's crazy. Yeah. So let's raise two million dollars for him. Oh Bill, tell him what you told me. I get up, I tell him. This was April of 1988. By July, I had $2 million in the bank from those guys. It went into your bank account? No, we set up a company, set up the thing. Money was all for the movie. Man. And in October, I'm making the movie. And you didn't ever even make a movie? No. And are you scared to death or what? Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Now, who do you you get in the cast? Anybody big? Uh, I hired a casting director that I knew from commercials. Right. And um, we got... uh, Rene Aubergenois, David Strathairn, and Stanley Tucci in the cast. And where do you shoot it? And I shot it in North Carolina. It, How many it, months? It takes place in a small town, two neighboring towns, uh, in the 50s. The book was written in the th- for the 30s. I adapted it for the 50s. And um, I shot for five weeks. Wow. Five, six-day weeks. And um, Did you go over budget? No, no. Brought it in for the million and a half, uh, even a little bit less, as I recall. Then had enough money to, you know, finish the picture. And then then came a real dark time, too, because I finished the movie and nobody gave a shit. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah, like, what do you do? You made a movie. It's just sitting in the Some guy that camp. nobody knows made a movie. You yeah. Know? And so um, I tried to just reach out. I, I wrote letters. I made phone calls. You know, no email, no none of that shit back then. No, no. I so just wrote a lot of letters, got a lot of rejections. But I did a smart thing. During the making of the movie, I hired a publicist. Oh. And in the budget of that million and a half, I had money for press. And during the making of the movie, I had 
stories laid into the press in Variety, Hollywood Reporter, um, making a movie. This guy's making a movie. It's based on a Thomas Berger novel. Then, because I was saving money by the time I was in editing, I had money to buy ads. Oh. I bought full-page ads in Variety. This is coming. This is coming. Wow. So then I started to get phone calls. People wanted to see it. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. So by the time I was finished, people wanted to see it. And I got it into, um, you know, some private screenings. And, and you know, back then, you're not carrying on a DVD. You're no, you got the film can. cans. Yeah, the cans. Huge film cans. Yeah. <laughs> and oh. you got to set up a screening room. Oh. You know, you're not even making it. You're not even uh, taking it. Yeah, how many prints there. you got of it? Just one? One. <coughs> I think I had two, maybe. Wow. And that was it. Uh, anyway, the, the movie eventually got a distributor and got a video release. But the main thing, and it didn't make any money. It opened uh, in New York. Who bought it? Uh, a company called Vidmark and Castle Hill, not to be confused with Castle Rock. Castle oh, yeah. Hill. Castle is Rock, tiny, very successful. Castle Hill is a tiny company out of New York. And, you know, they got it into the Quad Cinema on 14th Street, which at the time was the independent cinema in New York. Wow. That was the theater that, you know, before the Angelica or any of the cool theaters um, that, uh, in fact, where Matt's movie was shown just last, just this year, I don't think that cinema even existed then. And, and it's a far better cinema than the Quad. But um, it opened at the Quad. I got spectacular reviews no I, shit yeah, i got like just the greatest review from the daily news a really great review from the new york times wow and and then i got noticed and and i got an agent came out here but here's the really cool thing Rene aubergenois was in the movie the yeah. actor Rene, and he said to me while i was making the movie what are you going to do when you're done i said i don't have a clue i said i i don't have anything lined up i can't go back to commercials i'm just hoping this does something for me he said would you like to meet steven bochko and I said, what was it, say stupid up here? Of course I want to meet <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said, well, I went to school with Stephen, and I'll set up a meeting. I flew out here to L.A. Bochco could not have been nicer. I expected to meet a guy who was answering phones and, and, and busy, and he shut the door, didn't take any calls, and met with me for an hour. And I got uh, an episode of Doogie Howser to direct. Wow. And, out of that. That's amazing. And that episode led to an episode of northern exposure that great show then northern exposure led me to picket fences and david kelly and that was pretty much it <laughs> I, just got, I just got i just started working that's incredible but man. to get you back, rolled the dice though yeah it's the only way you get anywhere in life is when you roll the dice right you have to you I, have to thoroughly believe in yourself yep. and you have to also be involved in an area if it's the arts if you're involved in the arts you have to, if you're going to be successful, you have to do the thing that you can suffer the rejection for. Yeah. When I, make the, when I made the movie and it didn't get sold and it didn't get bought and people didn't like it and, 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 and then it didn't make any money, that's a severe rejection. And I just, and it hurts. Oh, yeah. But I just thought, how could all those people be wrong? How, how, yeah. how, could, how could that happen? That's not right. That's how I feel all you the time. You just pick yourself up and, and go again. You know, it's like, I, I always <laughs> think like someone's going to get me yeah. eventually. You know what I mean? You just. <clears throat> what, what you're saying is exactly it. You just, you, you got to put yourself in this position. I like it. I, I like it. I really like that. I got to believe there's people that agree with me. It's true. And then there's lots of people who won't agree with me, but. But that's okay. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to do this and please everybody. No, no. Because that's the road to mediocrity, by the way. Right. The only thing everybody agrees on 
is mediocrity. That's right. Everybody will agree on that. If everybody likes it, I just think it's uh, terrible. Uh, somebody, That's how so, I, or I think somebody's not telling me the truth. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel when I'm on stage. Yeah. And I get off and there's about 10 people that come right up to me and go, man, you were great. Those 10 people like are so into it. And the rest are like, hey, good show tonight or whatever. But those 10, if I could just pick those 10 up every day, different that, ones. Look, I, I've seen your act. It's, it's, it's terrific and it's specific and it's, and, and it's hilarious. And, and, you're, and because it's specific, it's, it, it's, some people are going to love it and some people aren't. That's but right. that's what makes it good. I love that about it. But that's what makes it good. Right. It's not good if everybody, everybody agrees. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, it can be. I'm not saying that, that there aren't things in popular culture that everybody agrees on that aren't good. That that happens. But it doesn't it, it doesn't have to happen. Well, you need two things, right, to be successful. You need the people that hate you, and then you need the people that love you, because that's what connects that that friction and talk and around talk about it. Around the work, let you know, workplace. It. It's uh I mean I always look at Hollywood. I always tell Chris this, like, when when are you going to get me on as the weird neighbor? Like, there's not enough of that Kramer guy on shows. Like, not not that style, but just somebody that's yeah, not in the box. Yeah. You know, everybody, like, to me, the, I think the thing that really bums me out on Hollywood is what's he look like? Even with comedy right now, stand-up comedy, it's really turning towards the... Uh, guys that aren't that funny but look pretty good are getting gigs and you're like well this guy's not funny at all and that's what killed music you know i was in the music business forever and it just went to good looking guys and put these clothes on them yeah um look you know i i don't know the answer to that i do i do think this though um because you're coming at it from a an angle that uh, i'm not as aware of because of where i sit where i sit uh, I, I'm always going to need a guy like you. I'm yeah. always going to need a, a character. Like I'm ready for that Robin Williams. N- no, show. you're you're <laughs> you're, you're going to get parts because uh, there there may be a movement in stand up comedy to the good looking guy, but there's and there's always a, a, a movement in films and TV. Where's that thirty something guy that is totally? You know, the next, I understand who's the, the next Bradley Cooper kind of thing. Oh, and I understand but, it, but but uh, that. That guy is only going to go so far if he does not have talent. That's right. If he, He'll get in the door and he'll get a part or two because he's the right type that they need. Right. But you've seen far, far too many. I've seen far, far too many failed television shows because the network and the studio say, we need that good looking guy and he can't act worth a shit. Yeah. And they put him in a thing and the thing fails because yep. he can't carry it. But it's the interesting character that's always going to carry the day. I mean, Steve Buscemi. I mean, he's the Jack god. Jack Nicholson was not a good-looking man. Not at all. Amazing. I mean, but he's a tremendous talent. And you keep working at craft, and you keep working at the specifics of the stories you want to tell. You can't not succeed. I always say, you need three things in this business to succeed, and they change over the course of a career. And the first three things you need are perseverance, perseverance, and perseverance. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tommy at the comedy store calls me a bulldozer. I just described that to you in, in what I, how I made the movie. Absolutely, I just persevered. I had I didn't know how to make a movie. I didn't have a clue that when I got there, if I'd fall apart. But I had belief in me, so I persevered. Then the second thing you need, you still need three things, but the three things change. 
Those three things then become perseverance, perseverance, and talent. Yeah. You have to have talent to get to the next level where you're appreciated, or people like what you do, where you get some work. And then the final phase of your career is uh, you, you still need three things. I, I consider the final phase, I mean, like there's three parts to a career. Uh, I want to do it. I'm doing it. I'm okay. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. This third part, I'm okay. I'm going to keep doing it. You still need three things. Those three things now become this. Perseverance, perseverance, and talent. No, I'm sorry. I just fucked up. That's the middle. The middle is perseverance, perseverance, and talent. Right. The third phase, it's perseverance, talent, and talent. You need two parts talent, one part perseverance. <laughs> yeah. Because if you lose the perseverance, suddenly you're going to wake up one day and you're going to think, what happened? Why, why is my phone not ringing? Yeah, I'm not working. You, you have to... Oh, I'm constantly Stay thinking about what next. What could I do better? Where's the next gig coming from? I got this gig. What's next? Constantly. I can't stop thinking about that. Right. The minute I relax, I think I'm dead. And it's no fun if you relax. That's like me. <laughs> I'm, every day I'm working. Like, you know what I mean? I work every day. I don't, what's today? Sunday? Yep. I'm working. working then I'm going to go work tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? I work seven nights a week. Yeah. You can't have any girlfriend. You can't have any uh, like life or anything. Well, look at Chris. Chris a, to make, you know, everybody's like, where do you come from? Look at that guy. And you talk about, good. he's good looking. Yeah. He's funny as shit, though. Yeah, that's different, <laughs> though. Yeah. But, but, but to get where he is now, where he's got a fan base, where he's on a TV show, that guy worked in, 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 a, year, in a year's time. We, we all know how many days there are in a year. That's right. He worked 450 shows. That's right. A year. Yeah, when he told me that, I went after it and I did 532. Well, there you go. Just to get him. <laughs> and making no money. Zero. Just how to get up and where am I working tonight and how many times can I work tonight? That's right. And that's... Zero money. People, people always ask me how much money. People don't realize man. that. People don't realize all of a sudden there you are and they're like, oh, look at this guy. Or in the case, you know, you talked earlier about um, not having anything fed to me, that I worked hard for everything I right. got. And I continue to do so. But I got here, I'm on the map from nowhere, not even having a map. That's right. And and there are people who look at Chris and they look at Matt and they think, oh, yeah, his dad's in the business. Yeah. That doesn't mean shit. Yeah. That does not mean shit. That's right. I made Chris funny. I made Matt talented. Yeah. I, I, you can't get anywhere unless you have the drive to succeed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like uh, one of my best friends is Jacob Dylan, right? He, I mean, his dad is Bob Dylan. Right. You know what I'm saying? But Bob Dylan didn't write those fucking songs, One Headlight and Sixth Avenue Heartache. You know what I mean? Bob Dylan didn't go, here's these songs, go sing. He had to write these songs. Yep. And then it's like being Woody Allen's son or something. You're the... Your dad is the biggest guy of all time. You still have to do the the work, you know what I mean? Yeah, nobody and and have the no, talent. Nobody gives a shit. You know, they people, don't. People on the outside kind of look in and think, oh, of course. Yeah. But nobody on the inside gives a shit yeah. that I have two kids that want to be in the business. They don't. My kids give a shit that they want to be in the business, and that's why they're in the business. That's right. They'll get in because they've got that same drive that... that, that, that if they got anything from me, they got that. They got well, I, that drive to just keep working. I got, I mean, I got lucky that I met Chris like six months in of doing comedy because when you're doing comedy, nobody's talking to you. You can't just walk up to like a Bill Burr and go, hey, man, so yeah. what do I do? He'll yeah. be like, you fuck off for yeah. sure. You know what I mean? You're yeah. like, oh. But I met him and uh, 
I remember I was just standing there for a minute. And I asked him, "What? What do you? We got any advice?" And he's like, "Be at the comedy store every night. Try to go on two, three times a night. Do every open mic, every show you can. Work seven nights a week." That was it. That's all he said. That's and that's what I did. I just walked away. I didn't ask him anything else. Like, well, what about this or that? Because that's going to make him crazy. And I just cruised away and did that. And I got very lucky that I heard, you know. Because I thought I was a comedian. I was going on on Saturday night, you know what I mean, or whatever. And I took that and ran with it, you know? Well, you know, luck luck is the residue of design. Luck favors the prepared mind. You, 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 uh, you can get lucky, but you can't get lucky without perceiving things the way you want to perceive them and moving towards a direction. Uh, it, it just doesn't happen any other way. Right. It's true. Uh, and then Matt, Matt's a director. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got like the the perfect family. Uh, first of all, you look great. How old are you? Sixty four. You look fucking amazing. I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like fifty. <laughs> I'm not fifty, but I feel fifty. I know. Get the fuck out. But you look great, man. You got a great career, and you're married still. Yeah. Like uh, everybody Over. wants that, man. Over Forty years unbelievable uh it's um look it's fun life is life is fun i mean it's all i had a kid ask me the other day i I, I was speaking to uh, students at ithaca college and the kid and they were asking me questions and the kid said uh how do you how do you wake up in the morning and find inspiration if you don't have if you're not inspired where do you find it and i and i looked at her dumbfounded because I said, I don't know how to wake up in the morning and not be inspired. I, I don't, I can't answer the question. Yeah, I've I'm never inspired, been there. I'm inspired every day. Yeah. And, and, and uh, if, I've, if I've given anything to the boys, it's, it's, it's that, you know, that, that I mean, Matt, Matt just did what took me 40 years to do. I was 40 when I made The Feud. Right. I, I, I adapted the novel when I was 35, and it took me five years to get the movie made. Matt is Matt just turned 29, and at 27, decided he was writing and directing a movie, and he scrounged up a grand here, two grand there from family and friends, and he made a terrific debut feature. People love it. Yeah, and, and, and look, nobody gives a shit that you want to make a movie. Nobody yep. gives a shit that you want to be funny. Not Nobody gives a crap that, that you want to get up on the stage. They don't care at all until they can make money. You have to give a crap. <clears throat> yeah. You have to give a shit more than any other 10 people do, and then it gets done. And then they start coming along saying, oh, yeah, he's funny. That guy, I want to see that guy again. That's you know? it. And it doesn't come from you just getting up there. And, and to me, watching Chris, watching his career, and then watching uh, other stand-up comedians I've gotten to know a lot of you guys now fortunately through Chris it's been a blast for me because I love to come hang yeah. out at the comedy store and laugh factory awesome. and hang with you guys and watch what goes on but to watch the specifics of that career which is a uh, uh, corner of the business I never knew before only peripherally to watch you guys get up and work it every day is, is just fascinating yeah it's, it's crazy really, really really tough what about when Chris told you he wanted to be a stand-up comedian where you just kind of like do it or yeah, were you I, like- I wanted to it, it was like it was like when you heard Kennedy got shot. <laughs> oh no. Oh that bad, huh? It was like there were two moments. One was when he said to me I want to be an actor and I just thought 
what the what the fuck do you want to do that for? Yeah. And he said he said, uh, well, you have friends that are actors. I said, yeah, but but th- those are different. They're, they're, most of them are not. You don't want to be one of those guys. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, and then when he said. Uh, I made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to go to this club. It's an open mic night. I'm going to try it. I remember thinking, well, that's the end of the line. I mean, that's, I know a lot of really funny people. I'm surrounded by them in my life and career. And, 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 but that's a very specific thing to do. I knew that much about it. Right. And I knew how hard it it's was so to weird. do. And, you know, uh, I really thought, oh, you know, good luck. I know you're funny, but, and I remember telling him, Here's the only thing I know, because I'm a student of stand-up comedy. I, when I was uh, in my 20s, uh, and, uh, uh, when I was a teenager, I mean, I would buy Smothers Brothers albums, Bob Newhart albums, Woody Allen albums, and in the 70s, George Carlin was God to me. Absolutely. I saw George Carlin live a couple of times, yeah. once at Carnegie Hall. He, I still listen to George Carlin. Me too. He's on my iPod. Yeah. But, but I, all I said to Chris was, I only know one thing, whether you're Woody Allen, or George Carlin, or Robin Williams, all distinctly different in their approach to comedy. They all had something that that was uh, that was a, that was the same, and it was a belief that they were funny, a confidence when they got up there. And you watch comics starting out; they're so hungry to. I, I'm funny, right? Please, they please, do that like thing, me. and it, they, there's a stink on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Because they do that, you, you, you sort of like, oh god, this guy really needs it. But if you get up there, like, I know some shit, and I'm going to tell you about it, and I hope you laugh at it because I think it's fucking funny. If you think it's genuinely funny, whatever your style is, and I had no idea what Chris's style was going to be. Right. I just knew he was. I, I thought he was going to get up there and talk, and or be more like Woody Allen than what he what he does. Right. And um, but I didn't know. And he said, look, I don't want you to come. I don't. And and so, the next day, Chris Mako, you know Chris. Yeah, he started with him. Mako called me up the next day. He said, uh, "Mr. Delia, you're not going to believe what happened." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Yeah, it's open mic night, so nobody's nobody's paying attention. Nobody cares who's going up there." And we all got up. And Mako got up and did some stuff. Everybody right. was just—it was like a night out for the guys to have fun. And and uh, he said, "Nobody's listening. They're drinking. They're eating. Nobody's paying attention." He said, "Chris got up there." And within a minute, people stopped drinking, within a, stopped eating and started laughing. And he quieted down the room and owned it. And they all were laughing. And from the very first time he got up there, he, he was comfortable. And, you know, a year and a half later, he's at the Laugh Factory at the Comedy Store. And, but he found it. And he found it because of what I'm talking about. He's listening to himself. Right. And he realized, I'm not getting any parts as an actor. I'm not getting anywhere as an actor. I want to do it on my own so nobody's judging me but me. That's it, man. You got to make your own page these days. And you, know? you got to judge you, no matter what you're, whether you're a writer or an actor or a comedian, a director, you got to judge you and you got to judge you by a higher standard than the next guy will and you're going to get there. Yeah, yeah. It's just hard work. People just don't ever understand that. It's as hard as swinging a pickaxe. It's hard work. It really yeah. is. You got to get up every day and work it. It, it. It's funny because, like, you know, people always ask that, like, they'll say, like, Oh man, that guy, he's just like got got this or whatever. And nobody just gets this or that. People don't understand that. You know what I mean? It's like it doesn't work like that. Nope. There's so much money involved. You know, just going go, hey, it's Bob's kid. Put him on a sitcom, yeah, you know. Or Bill's kid, happen. you know, or that Frank's kid or Jimmy's kid. It doesn't work like that. No. Not you know? If it did, every person in the planet's families would be in the biz. 
Paul Newman's son would be a huge star. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what That's I mean? That's the way it worked. That's yeah. what it would be. It's just, it's weird, man. One last story about the feud that, that I want to share with you. Is it, first I, of all, before you do, yeah. is that the only feud poster you have? No, oh, I got plenty of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> There's one here in my office at home. Yep. There's one at my office at work. Yeah. And there are several more in storage. <laughs> Constant <laughs> reminder. That's the first thing I hang up no matter where I go. <laughs> um, but uh, when I was finally making the movie, when I knew I was going to get to make the movie, I put a call to an actor to play in the movie, uh, the actor Paul Dooley. Now, I don't know if you know him offhand, but if, if, you, if you saw him, you'd recognize him. I called Paul Dooley because I knew Paul from, he did commercials, and I had directed him in commercials. And I called, and my casting director said, well, Paul is like a little bit of a star now. He's not going to work for scale in a little movie like this. And I said, well, call him, call him anyway. Tell him, tell him it's me because he knows me, and maybe that'll make a difference. And, so the casting director calls me back and he says, uh, Paul Dooley said uh, he wanted to play this part when Robert Altman offered it to him. Robert Altman was going to make the movie with the same guy. That's so creepy, huh? The uh same guy. And, I, and, and eventually Paul had to drop out and I cast Ron McClarty in the role. But it was so refreshing that, that same page. I wanted the book that Bob wanted and I wanted to cast the actor that Bob wanted. Man, that's how, incredible. How, how weird is that? That's awesome, <laughs> yeah. man. So, What's your favorite film? Of all time? Yeah, because I asked Matt this one, too. Uh, I never asked Chris movie stuff because he likes terrible films. Chris has got, no, Chris has got terrible taste in movies. The movie. worst. Yeah, he, he, likes, he likes bad music and bad movies. Yeah, he, like, yeah, he, he, he has no taste in music. He has, it's unbelievable. And he, has, and he likes the, the weirdest shit in movies. He loves horror movies. Yeah, he loves scary movies, which is weird. I'm going to tell you and your fans something right now. Yeah, he was the scariest little kid on the face <laughs> of the fucking planet. <laughs> you couldn't even show him a picture of Freddy Krueger without him shitting his pants. Oh, he, he, watch him now. Talk about because I hate scary movies. Yeah, I yeah, never, yeah. I never go to scary movies. Yeah. I, I love The Exorcist. Yeah, The Exorcist is where it ends for me. It's so scary. <laughs> yeah, it's so scary, but, right? But like the the horror movies today, like Saw and all those. Oh yeah. Paranormal I don't even see that I, shit. I won't go because I don't like being scared. I don't want to yeah. know about it. But um, you're right. Chris, forget it. And Matt Matt and I are in arguments all the time. Matt and I talk about movies all day long. Yeah, yeah. Matt, Because Matt loves casino, casino and I hate it. And casino. you and I hate it. And Matt is actually wrong about casino. He is. And yeah, I'm glad he, you're he, saying he's this. He's completely great. wrong about casino. And he's going to give us both shit when he yeah. hears this. But but casino is certainly, is certainly a great movie. But you cannot... Put it in the league of Goodfellas. It's not good. Goodfellas is a far superior movie to Casino. And you can't put it in any category above Raging Bull to me. No, because that is no. the the best film that he made. Yeah, and it's, well, you could argue. You to me, you could argue Raging Bull, and you could argue Goodfellas. Right. You could argue a lot of Scorsese movies. Casino is better than most people's movies, right. no matter how many movies they made. But. In the canon of Scorsese, it is not his best movie. Yeah. And to Matt, it's the best movie. And, yeah. And, and Matt, God bless him, he'll watch a movie three or four times. Uh, yeah. In oh, a row. me too. Oh, yeah. Oh, in a row. In yeah. A like row. He, he and I go to, uh, we just saw um, The Master. You guys went yeah, to see The just Master. Just saw The Master. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to me, 
it's uh, he likes great films that's all that matters yeah so i give him that he loves casino and i like to tweet once in a while like fuck casino just to get him going he gets lit up on i know it. he gets mad. it's so dumb but i mean to me you've got the godfather one and two i count as one film right and then I count Raging Bull, and three is Jaws, and Jaws was always sometimes up on one because what Jaws did to me was get me into films and Dick Zanix. Dick Zanix. Well, I thought it was the most. It, it's not about the shark to me; it's about the three dudes on the boat. Well, the filmmaking in Jaws is astounding. It's, I mean, it's a great movie. It's There's unbelievable. No about it. But um, the movie I always go back to as the movie. Yeah. above all movies is Citizen Kane. Oh, yeah. It, it, uh, uh, there was a period in my life where I watched Citizen Kane once a month. You think that's an old people's movie? Like uh, Seize Candy? Like your bit on Seize <laughs> yeah, yeah, Candy? Yeah, yeah, no, like, here, Here's what I, you know, I thought maybe. Yeah. But when, um, how many years ago? It was maybe 15 years ago. So Chris was a teenager. Matt was a kid. Citizen Kane got re-released. Yep. And because it got re-released around the time of my birthday, I said, my birthday present, I'm taking you guys to the theater to see Citizen Kane. Hey, Chris, like, no! No, that was before Chris was an asshole about movies. <laughs> he was still, I was still able to influence him <laughs> that he had to do it because his dad said so. Yeah, yeah. So I take the two of them to Citizen Kane, and what I figure is they're going to be bored to shit. Mm-hmm. I figure that's what's going to happen. And I figure that afterwards we're going to have this great conversation about why they're wrong and why I'm right. And I'm going to teach them something. Because, by the way, they were raised that way. We would, I would watch movies. I would watch television shows. And I would talk to them about what it meant, what it was about. Here's what you, look at that. Here's why. Here's, and we, we, I, I just love that. And the fact that Chris used to ask me to watch Charlie Chaplin when he was just a kid. Wow. Can we watch that Modern Times movie, Dad? I mean, he just loved Which is interesting that he should become... A, a comic i remember watching a jerry lewis movie once and chris walking in the room and he was like six five seven something like that he said who's that dad i said it's jerry lewis and jerry lewis was doing some shticky funny stuff right, right. and he says uh does he get paid for that <laughs> <laughs> and i said yeah chris he gets paid a lot of money and i often wonder <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that was an influence <laughs> yeah 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 but but anyway i took him to see citizen kane and after the movie's over, I was prepared for this onslaught of shit about, you know, how wrong I was. They loved it. Yeah. They loved it. Because it's classic. It's a classic, great movie. Now, you could argue anything you want to argue about it. But when you talk about uh, great films and filmmaking, I go to that movie for inspiration because there's great filmmaking, there's great storytelling, there's great ideas at play in the way scenes are put together and the way and th- the way the whole movie. And it is was his first film. Yeah, and it was his first film. But but there but I go to Citizen Kane always. But I'd have to put Nashville in there. Right. I'd have to put um, and I'd have to put the Godfather movies and I'd have to put Goodfellas. What about Goodfellas Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now is a great movie but it doesn't have the appeal to me that the others that we're talking about have and i think it's because it's so it's so poetic and so lyrical and and so interesting on a on a higher level than than most movies but but i don't put it i i, I don't put it as one of my top three it's certainly yeah one of the greatest movies ever made i i don't i'm not going to even argue that oh it's awesome better than casino Oh, God. <laughs> what do you think, Coppola or Scorsese? Who do you like better? 
Oh, there's no, you can't, you can't really, I, I don't like doing that. You can't yeah. really do better. I think that I'm probably more drawn to Scorsese because. Because of New York and stuff? Well, just because of. Uh, Body well, of maybe, work? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's that. But, you know, when you look at things like King of Comedy and you look at the, the, the edginess that Scorsese just still brings to his movies at, uh, 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 continually from the time he's a young man to now, uh, Coppola is groundbreaking filmmaker. Yeah. No question about it. But I'm probably more often drawn to watch any one of a number of Scorsese movies as, as much as I am the godfather right you know, right yeah 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 i, I don't feel uh, you know yeah. uh, the same about i mean i watched the conversation the other day yeah because i hadn't seen it in a while brilliant movie just a brilliant movie and you know i do that a lot i'll, I'll be thinking of something and say geez i haven't seen that in a while and i'll, I'll, Put it I'll on. have to watch it yeah coble to me is kind of like uh he's like the stones like he should have never like made movies again you know what I mean? Like the Stones keep making a record every 10 years and you're like, no, man. Because to me, he's so awesome in this era. Like the Stones, the same thing. Like 69 to 81, the Stones were God. You know, there's nothing better. And then after, like he just made those films in the last five years or whatever. And it's just like, But what? you have to appreciate him uh, as an artist because, you know, he, he, made, he made these movies that he wanted to make of a personal nature. Right. And it and it kind of reminds me um, of Cassavetes, who's another huge... I mean, I'd have to put Husbands on that list, by the way. A little-known movie that most people haven't seen. I haven't seen it. And that will divide anyone. People will either love it or absolutely hate it. I went to see it in a theater when it was released, and I think it was released in 1970, and... I was on a date with Ellie, and and we went with this other couple, and we walked out, and both guys loved the movie, and both women hated it, <laughs> and, and and it's a it's a movie that people really don't like, and it's a movie that I love, and it gives me great pleasure that years later, without me talking about it, both Chris and Matt discovered the movie. And wow! It's, and it's their favorite. Is that right? Yeah, they, they just and we've gone to see it in a the theater together. Well, you guys around. are the same, dude. <laughs> It's so amazing. You guys are. Like, I, I look at you and I just go, oh, this is Chris right here. And then there's some Matt in there. And then your distant brother would be Mark Marin. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Sometimes I look at you and I go, this is like Marin's older brother. That's so funny. But then I met your brothers in New York yeah. last week. And right away I go, oh, of course, these are your brothers. <laughs> I'm going to get out of your hair. But before I do, oh, one last thing. You, you just, you got, you're going to do a show with Robin williams a sitcom yeah it's being set up now at cbs it's um and what's my part on that uh i don't have the script yet i, I play the weird it. neighbor or something you have to play the you have to play the weird neighbor yeah you have Ro to play i mean the weird neighbor right this is pretty incredible when i grew up robin williams you know, i grew up in san francisco robin williams is like a staple there i loved mark and mindy yeah uh i i, well, I mean he's Rob a god i mean he's a comedy god i mean there's just, just there's no just amazing. I saw real Robin Williams about six months ago. Just pop in at the Improv Lab, and he wasn't even supposed to go on. He just went up there. He was doing wacky shit. He, he did a. Um, I'm involved in the Brady campaign for um, uh, gun control. Right. I'm, I'm on the board, and uh, at one of the benefits uh, honoring David Kelly, in fact, um, for his work, because David and I are in agreement, and we do a lot of stuff where he he writes a lot of stuff that supports gun control. Um, now you guys are 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 not for guns, 
Like gun control, like uh, to make guns illegal, or what is it? Not illegal, but but uh, gun control laws. I mean, there's no way you should be able to buy an AK-47. Yeah, that's there's just no stupid way. shit. I mean, uh, everybody has the right to bear arms, and and, and nobody's against that. Not, the Brady yeah. campaign's not against that. Yeah, home protection. But, but you know, you shouldn't be able to go online and 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 buy uh, a machine gun, a hundred round clip, and a, and and a, an automatic or semi-automatic weapon. There's no need for that if you're not in the military so that's disturbing so that's right. kind of where we'd like to see better laws with regard to that any website there, for that there was an assault ban uh there was an assault weapons ban that was passed under clinton that expired under bush and it's it's still expired and when it was in existence uh it um it prevented a lot of these tragedies like happened in Colorado. Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate that after an event like that, things get political again, but it's just common sense to me. So at any rate, yeah, the, the Brady Center has a website, uh, uh, the, the Brady Campaign for Gun Control. Just Google it. Um, but at any rate, Robin Williams was at this benefit. And, and I know you watched a guy just get up there because he was the entertainment. And he specifically targeted the issue and was hilarious. Yeah. For like an hour, and he was just making shit up. Yeah. There's nobody like that. It's just really. And what's one this, of a kind. the show? Is going to be a sitcom? It's it's actually a very interesting show about advertising. So I get back to my, wow, my original world. Uh, David Kelly plopped this idea on me, and I thought, man, if we can make this the right way, it's it's breakthrough because there's a guy in uh, at Leo Burnett in Chicago, and he had an idea to try to tell uh, the. Uh, uh, to try to make a television show about the absurdity of advertising, what goes on behind the scenes. Now, the difficulty there is always, what are the products? You know, you're going to talk about, you know, Schmegel beer or whatever. But yeah. this guy has real clients like McDonald's. Uh, and he's gone to them and he's asked them to be involved. And they're letting us use... Wow. So you can real, use actual real products. Real names. And, and, and so this is, this is very absurd. Even if you're clowning them? Yeah, but you know, we we promise not to uh, denigrate the product, right, 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 but make fun of the product. It's like an ultimate product placement. Yeah, form. it kind of is. So, so it um, Robin Williams plays the 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 legendary leader of this little ad agency, and this he has this small agency with a group of people that he's trying to turn over to his daughter. So, in some way, it's a it's a father daughter story. And in some ways, it's a real story about what goes on in America about advertising. And it's just funny as hell. No, that's great. And what are you going to do, shooting the pilot? Yeah, probably. All, all as, as you can imagine, getting Robin Williams back to television yeah. is, is a big deal. Yeah, so, I mean, it was all over, yeah, like online. And, and so all of that is being put together now. I don't have a schedule yet. I don't know. You know, Right now, I'm concentrating on Monday mornings, which finishes shooting in December. And when does that come out? Uh, that'll be on, that airs in February 2013. Um, the week of February 4th, I think. I'm not sure what night it's on. Oh, that's my birthday, February 3rd. Well, we'll have a party. There we go. We'll watch my show. We'll watch your show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you have a Twitter, at Bill D'Elia. At Bill D'Elia. Now, I've had the trifecta. I've had Matt on, Chris on. Actually, I had Chris on in a funky way. 
And then you. I thought you had Chris on. I did, but he was on with a, we had a kind of a fictional character on too. And then Chris was supposed to do my show in New York. And of course, we just didn't do that. Oh, yeah. But he will be on again. Well, you you were dogged in your determination to get all three of us. So, I know. Man, you came to my house. I, know, I feel like an <laughs> asshole. I do feel like an asshole. No, like, come on, do it. I was like, Dean, I can't do it. But if you come to my house, I'm coming to your house. All yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what? I re- I really wanted to have you on, not just because you're uh, Chris's dad, but like I mean, you do you're you're in the biz, man, which I'm is way awesome. In it. I'm way inside. You're it. way in it, man. <laughs> I'm in it. I just spotted a movie over there. Oh, it was Moulin Rouge. I thought it was Mulholland Drive. And I got that one too. Somewhere. Yeah, that's such a great film. All right, well, I'm going to get out of here before I split here. Uh, there's some cool stuff in the office here. You do have a cool old photo of Charlie Chaplin. Gotcha. Yeah, and Groucho. Groucho whispering in Charlie's ear, and that photo was taken by and given to me by Candace Bergen. So cool, man. What's your favorite thing in this office before I leave? You got an Emmy? Right there. Oh, who painted that? Uh, Ellie commissioned somebody to paint a picture of Chris and Matt, and that's... uh, that's already, jeez, that's back in 2004. That's what they looked like. Now, they're both wearing turtlenecks there. What is that about? It was a photo. You know, <laughs> Ellie used to force him to uh, uh, take a Christmas picture. So it was a picture. Was, uh, he painted it off a picture. <laughs> that's my favorite thing. No, I don't have an Emmy, by the way. I, I'm, I'm no for, Emmy? I'm 0 for 8. Are you kidding? Eight nominations, no wins. Wow, you're kind of like the Susan Lucci <laughs> of, uh, of, of zero direct- for eight. I got a couple of Peabody Awards. A couple of I got. I have. There's two things there from the. Uh, well, I think you're going to get one this time. Television Academy. I got. Uh, 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 David and I both got those two awards from the Emmy Academy for creating television with a conscience. That was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. I used to have a crush on that Ally McBeal. Yeah, who didn't? Yeah. <laughs> now she's with Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Ellie huh? McBeal is married to Indiana Jones. That's yeah. <laughs> who would have thought they would have met? <laughs> I was there when they met. They met at the Golden Globes. Is that right? Yeah. She wow. spilled a drink on him. Are you kidding? I think that's how it happened. That's a good pickup. I'm going to try that. <laughs> to spill drinks on chicks. Try that with a movie star. <laughs> I love you, man. Thanks for having hey, me at your house. thank you, man. It was, a, it was a blast. And uh, follow you on Twitter. Watch the show morning, mon- Monday, uh, Monday, Monday mornings. mornings. Next February 2013, we'll be on the air, 10 episodes. I think you're going to love it. And yeah, follow me on Twitter. And I'm then, following you. Yeah, and then uh, also uh, Matt D'Elia's movie, American Animal. American Animal is on Netflix and on DVD. And Whitney's going to start Go up it. next uh, week, Whit- I think. Whitney goes on the air November 14th. Yeah. That's that's my industry. There's my industry right there. And rest in peace, Wonder Woman. I wish that came out. Me and out. the boys. Well, Wonder Woman was a great project that just, for whatever reason, they didn't pick it up. Uh, but there's a lot of really great films that didn't get picked up. That was one of them. Wonder Woman was great. I mean, yeah, he closed down Hollywood by, Boulevard. That was directed by Jeffrey Reiner. He did a great job with that. There you go. Thank you, man. Hey, thank you. Dude. And uh, I'll see you soon at uh, Comedy Store. I'll be at the club. Yeah, yeah. I'll be in the booth. Right there. There he is, Bill D'Elia. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. And uh, also tell everybody about this podcast. Retweet it, whatever you got to do. Follow me on uh, iTunes. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. See ya.